welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me tonight is... Morgana. Again, she's here. Hooray, 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 it happened. And back with us tonight is... Steve Berg. Hello, my friends. There he is. He came back. And you know what? We're not going to just spend the whole time talking general stuff. We're going to actually <laughs> talk about what we meant to talk about, which is weirdness in Nebraska or yes. strange Nebraska. Yep. Um, so right now, though, Nebraska and Ohio and everything east of, say, California got struck by crazy snow. So but oh, you're yeah. good. Your oh, house yeah. is standing. Yep. Good. Yep. You know, like you, good. we experienced some uh, just, I mean, it felt like, you know, is Mars is a cold planet? Yes, I, I was going to say. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it, it has felt no, like it has no uh, atmosphere to speak yeah, of. So yeah, it's really cold. Yeah. So it, it, it felt like a foreign planet outside. It was you know negative minus forty four uh, wind chill, <laughs> and that that just that's not great. I, I I like to get outside and mess around. So I, I was locked in, and you know after reading, getting my fill of reading books, I started to freak out. But it's nice here now. It's like forty six degrees. So, you know, it feels like a nice spring day to me. I was actually outside a t-shirt and uh, shorts. I'm that Midwest guy who goes out in shorts if it's past 40 degrees. <laughs> See? Yeah. Yeah. My you're boyfriend the, you're the kind is that of guy. man as well. Yep. Yep. Your boyfriend. Yeah. My kid, Fox, is like, what's wrong with these people? I said Midwest. They can't help it. We can't help it. Their we legs are impervious to cold. It's I, true. I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hillbilly from the hills, and we wear pants, and that's what we do. Yeah, my we wife thinks do. I'm crazy too. So <laughs> that's because well, it's cold. Do you also stare at the tornadoes? Yeah, I used to as a kid. As they're coming, weird. I used to lay lunch meat on my driveway when we had tornado warnings because I I would set up a video camera and I was like eleven or twelve to try to get like you know a good photograph or you know a good video of a uh, of a tornado. And in my head, I'm like, well, if I leave lunch meat out of my driveway that it will attract a tornado. I didn't really believe that, but it was also, I guess I was like performing some magic as a kid, like That's trying amazing. to entice the tornado with a little ritual, you know? I was, I, a, I was an I'm oddball. Speechless. <laughs> I'm speechless. That's amazing. So tornadoes love lunch meat. I'm just yeah. going to write it down. Well, I was never successful, but it doesn't mean they don't. I, I should start trying again now that I'm back here. You should. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I would lay them further away from your house than your driveway yeah, in case yeah. it works. Yeah, I'm not looking yeah, to yeah. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, like, <laughs> Omaha is a big enough city where it produces enough heat that tornadoes generally kind of go around us. It's just like all the yeah. small towns around us just get pulverized, unfortunately. <laughs> And and any that trailer sucks. park because tornadoes they're done. They love, love trailer parks. Trailer parks. They they actually you know they, what's weird though they do. <laughs> it's just that's <laughs> actually true. I mean, like it is so crazy. Oh yeah. In Iowa, Nebraska, growing up, you just be like, well, the tornado, you know, Nebraska or Omaha averted another, you know, crazy tornado, but the trailer parks in Iowa got destroyed. You know, like <laughs> and it's like. Ugh. Don't live in a trailer park in don't. the Midwest, y'all. No, no. Just don't. Maybe you can be in a trailer away from all the other trailers because then they're not as likely to get you. But I think that would in increase trailer your park, odds. No way. Yep. Yep. Too dangerous. Yeah, I think so too. Yep. I think so too. All right. Well, what is weird about Nebraska? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going. You know, I, I'm going to kind of uh, because 
Well, we, we okay. We kind of it's one of these states that you really don't hear a whole lot about. You know, it's like in, in like I think like Iowa had like Brad Steiger, and so he wrote a lot about Iowa. He was a you know native, yeah. lived in Iowa his whole life, and so even though he wrote about everything globally, you know, under the sun, he would definitely like really like kind of. Uh, talk about iowa and wisconsin has multiple great researchers who have been documenting that place forever minnesota does illinois ohio but nebraska indiana even indiana Indiana. absolutely colorado all these states in the midwest or you know pretty much all over the country have had some you know there is historical documentation out there but nebraska for some reason really just has not had a ton of documentation and we have a lot of weird stuff. I mean, like anywhere else. It, you know, I, I, like as a kid, I was always like, well, gosh, did the paranormal and high strangers just skip over the state? Why me? <laughs> you know, like I was like upset about it. But as like the internet came around and, you know, uh, one was able to start um, going through the databases of old newspapers all over every county in Nebraska, I started discovering a ton of stuff and including Bigfoot, which... A lot of people, you know, who, especially the flesh and blood Bigfoot, people are like, Bigfoot, it's impossible for a Bigfoot to be in Nebraska. But I'm here to tell you, we have had a lot of sightings going all the way back to like the 1870s. I mean, like, you know, so, I mean, you know, I wasn't there. I don't have evidence that these occurred. But when you hear these stories go back 130 years, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, raises my eyebrow. I think, you know, mm, perhaps there's something to this pattern. And that was before, you know, there was even something called Bigfoot. It was, they, they just described it as a nine-foot-tall wild man with a lot of hair. So, um, yeah, yeah. And that kind of, you know, wild man archetype is goes throughout every, almost every state in the, in the lower 48 has a story. Some are in their papers yeah. about this. Ohio, yeah. most definitely, obviously. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. We, we've got all kinds of stuff here. Yeah. And, and um, in Ohio, actually, not to get off the Nebraska thread, but like, doesn't Ohio, isn't like the third most Bigfoot sightings in the history. It's it like up there, yeah. you know, like in people. I, should, I think yeah. we're actually fourth. I think fourth. we're fourth. You know, but in uh, my heart, we are up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot, right? Um, I mean, that's crazy. But um, so what's weird about Nebraska is one to me that it has not been documented very, uh, very well, but we have a long history of UFOs, contactee experiences, uh, cryptids, you know, being black, giant black cats, uh, weird little walking, you know, three foot tall raccoon looking putchwuckies. Uh, you know, so we even have a lake monster here. But you know, I'll just, I'll go, I'll start just kind of like going through um, because there's this. What I've kind of done with looking at Nebraska is I've sort of taken the John Keel approach, where kind of take a small-ish microcosm of a place and really, really study the history go back and just try to focus on a chunk of it. Because if I, you know, even though it's Nebraska is just one state, it's overwhelming to really focus on the whole state for me. So where I'm from, I'm from Eastern Nebraska. And that is kind of where the most documentation that I can find has occurred. So Eastern Nebraska is, uh, it's, it's right along the Missouri river, which is, you know, one of the country's big major rivers. And so it goes all down from the tippy top of, northern Nebraska, all the way down to the south. And right along the Missouri River is where the vast majority of high strangers has occurred and is still occurring. Um, so what is weird about Nebraska? So, well, there's this place called uh, Odo County, which is, gosh, probably 40 miles away from Omaha. 
And in the 1870s, there started being there, there. There was this like there was this little. They found some coal. We're not a real big coal state, but they found some coal along the Missouri River, and so it became for a little little while this mining town. And when this mine, you know, and this is in the middle of the middle of nowhere, so it had no population, but until people started coming there for work in the mines. Right. And when they started coming there for work in the mines, you know, they were digging up a bunch of stuff, digging into hillsides, you know, trying to extract all this creo, creosote, creo, what's it called? The creosote. The creosote, yes. I, I believe it was creosote. They started having <laughs> these weird experiences. And a lot of and it we was. All- yeah. And we, they're digging. We all you know, know. Yes. we all know, don't be digging. Don't, don't be, do that. Because yeah, yeah. if you dig, if you're digging out of the earth, you're going to get a Bigfoot. You're right. going to get lights. And that's exactly And you're right on a major river, which is also, yep. for yeah, whatever reason, I mean, river yeah, valleys with weird. You you really can't, when you actually, gosh, I, and I, I'm hoping to post some videos that I've been taking down at this area. You really can't get more liminal than this area. You know, like it, it really just is bizarre in so many, so many different ways. But uh, to kind of get back to my little story, so Minersville was a thriving little mining mine town, and then there was, but it's, it was it, we have very, very small like mines in a very small like uh, cursed cave systems. So grown male adults really weren't able to mine, so they were using like twelve year olds. Oh, that's always good. <laughs> awesome, right? That's and great. There was a mining accident in I believe the late eighteen nineties and killed like forty four children. Who were mining? Oh, so they shut down the mine. It was like this big tragedy, but the weird stuff kind of started to increase. And we're talking or- orange orbs of light over the Missouri River that people said, according to these newspaper articles and the stories that I've heard from the local historian, people were seeing them on the regular. Like it became something mm. at first where people were going out and watching the lights, go, oh, cool. But they got bored by it because it happened so often. Uh, there's right. a wonderful story about this schoolhouse of 18 children and two teachers who were being um, circled by a nine foot long black puma looking cat. And that's Ooh. like, that's, that's an old newspaper story. And then there was just a ton of what I would kind of call a Bigfoot type creature. They described it as an eight foot tall man who was muscle bound, covered in hair. They just didn't have the term Bigfoot or Sasquatch back then. Um, but that right. was being seen so often that the mayor of Odo County, who, which is now called Nebraska City, hired all these men with sh- armed them with shotguns and torches, and was paying them at the time big money to go hunt hunt the the black cat and the bigfoot, because supposedly they were taking livestock, killing chickens, and threatening. Right. They were hanging around the schoolhouse a lot. But yeah. this mm-hmm. this area, so back in town, like the you know. Late eighteen, late eighteen hundreds, there was a ton of stuff going on. Then the t- the area was pretty much abandoned because there was no work. Um, the mine shut down. So then I'm going to kind of fast forward to the nineteen sixties, right? Exactly when John Keel was in Point Pleasant in sixty six and sixty seven, when he was in Point Pleasant, looking at all the you know. Mothman stuff Weirdies. and the the weird stuff that was transpiring around the Mothman, which is you know kind of the most interesting stuff. Um, we were having many of the same things: flying humanoids, uh, structured craft landing, lights going over the Missouri River, where people like on the barges who were you know uh, going down the river like shipping stuff 
they would be like shining spotlights on the lights going just clearly. like in the Ohio River. Absolutely. Yeah. And the the one of the things is now there's our nuclear plant right down where Myersville used to be. So when I went down wow. there for the first time to go check it out, I was like, Oh my god, I'm looking at a mirror of Point Pleasant. Right by a yes, major you river, are. right where a tragedy happened and a nuclear power plant. And the same sort of phenomenon was actually happening back in the sixties. So there's wow. a guy, and you may have heard of him. He's kind of a, he was a he, pretty big player in the ufological field in the 80s and 90s. Um, a guy named Ray Boucher. Uh, Nick Redford yeah. wrote kind of a popular book called Final Events, and he's kind of the protagonist in that book. Yeah. Um, and Ray was, an, you know, a really interesting, is an interesting guy because he in the 80s and 90s had this 40 in society. And so I'm, I, that's just kind of like a little preview of who Ray is, so you have some context. But in the, in, the, in the 60s, when this stuff was going on, Ray was 15 years old. And he called John Keel. Like, he just somehow, because he, he, like, he had kind of like, they were like pen pals. And he was, John Keel was just nice. He would write back this uh, 15-year-old who was really into his work. Well, he finally got John on the phone and was describing exactly what was ha- happening to him in Nebraska, not knowing anything about what was going on in West Virginia. And John Keel goes, well, I have a new term for this stuff. It's called window area, and I think you have one. <laughs> so That's Keel amazing. actually told Ray, That's so cool. and it was kind of when he was coming up with that kind of concept. And so, but that really wasn't hardly documented anywhere. And to me, that's pretty major because there was a lot for about a two-year period, 66 and 67, there was yep. so much stuff happening. Um, you know, yeah. and, you know, I, I, I've got, been able to, I've gotten friends, you know, Ray has been super nice to send me a bunch of files and old press clippings but we had some really weird stuff there was multiple flying humanoid uh i'll go into more detail about that because i'll tell you about my favorite flying humanoid case we have um but yeah we had flying humanoids bigfoot type creatures and the black cats returned in the 60s and they had structured craft and lights in the sky um so that that area of minersville is of particular interest to me because there is newspaper documentation of the stuff, and there is kind of a confluence of all the paranormal manifestations yeah. that you know we know and love. So it's um, yeah, and it's kind of one of these things where it's like it's super hard. I, I, I've gotten to be really good friends with, with the local historian of Nebraska City in that county, and she's told me she's like, I hear weird stuff all the time, but people still do not want to talk about it. They won't put their names out. She's like, so we're still having tons of stuff, tons of odd occurrences, but people just don't talk about it. They don't send it into MUFON. I mean, like, you know, it's like, right. I think if, if you go solely by like what the, you know, BFRO, the Bigfoot reporting site or MUFON or these database places, you would, you would not think there's that much stuff going on, but I feel like the percentage of people actually reporting anything has to be like three or four. It's got to be yeah. very low. I wouldn't re- feel like I would need to report it to MUFON if I had a UFO experience. You know, like, I don't think I would. Yeah. Um, I would I would probably call you guys and talk about it. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. But, um, so. Yeah, that, true. So, yeah, so the Myersville area is very interesting to me. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, like, go in and start, like, talking about um, some of the particular cases around that general area. Uh, there is this wonderful case of. And John Keel and Valet, I think, both wrote about this. In Fall City, Nebraska, which is just south of Minersville, there was this dude named Mr. Hanks. It's an alias. 
but he was driving home one night, back into Fall City, coming back in from work, and he sees something flying in the air. He just, you know, kind of like, oh, that's odd and interesting because it's, it's pretty rather, it's rather large. And then as it gets closer, he kind of notices that it is like a gray, leathery skinned creature with ice blue eyes and wings that are like oh, kind dear. of like lightly flapping. And then as, so he's like, wait, what? So he stops his car, gets out of the car to look at this thing. And then all of a sudden he becomes paralyzed. He cannot move. And he feels just horrified with this feeling of dread. And it starts getting closer. And when he gets closer, he notices more details of this thing. And the wings on the thing were not like organic or skin. It was like an apparatus made of like a grid-like oh, material huh. with a, a shoulder harness. And then in the middle, there was like a breastplate with like like lights and knobs and dials. Like it was some kind of like crude old computer that was on his chest. Oh, wow. And this is like, you know, I think, gosh, this, this happened in 57. Yeah, even before the flap in the 60s. And so that was way before that kind of like, you know, technology was seen very much. Right. And then it starts having some kind of like problems and he, it starts flapping its like hands and feet, which the hands and feet looked like dove, the tails of doves or, or the wings oh, of doves, wow. I should say. And That's then, fascinating. yeah. And then it gets really low to the ground and then it flies off and the guy becomes unparalyzed. And he was so traumatized by this. He ended up saying like he's like for the rest of his he was like in his late forties at the time. He said for the rest of his life he always had two or three jobs to avoid sleeping. And he said he probably slept one or two hours the rest of his life. He's like, my whole Damn. life became about avoiding sleep or avoiding any downtime because when I had downtime, I thought about this stuff and it horrified me. So it really oh. like did a number on this guy and he was kind of never the same. And uh which is, you know, it's. I love this case, but I am kind of sad for this poor man whose life was so yeah, yeah. And he said it disrupted his family life, you know. He's like, he actually said it impaired his ability to be a good father and stuff. And I was like, wow, that's really... But, you know, I guess yeah, you see that's... something that's shocking, you know. <laughs> yeah, it and... would be a horrible shock to the system. And for some reason, I think that a lot of sightings pre-60s and during the 60s they were really traumatizing for people. They like, were. I don't know if the phenomena has shifted a yeah. little bit. Yeah. As time has gone on to be like less horrifying right. or if people's mental elasticity has mm -hmm. changed. Or it's, it's just that we've heard enough about weirdness. Yeah, maybe we've been there's, for it. There's a, thought, there, there's a thought balloon in your head that you can hang it on to. And yeah. Say, so it's less... Yeah, oh, that's a, that's a UFO, right. which is an alien thing. That's what that is. Yep. But this dude, he saw, like, some steampunk crazy. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he did, you know, and, and, and that is kind of the thing. You know, if you go through some of those old, because there's, there's really some wonderful stuff being written, obviously, like Keel and Brad Steiger and Rosemary and Ellen Guiley. They, they all, all three of them kind of, like, I really love their writing style and how they investigated, you know. It's just like. It was kind of a folk approach to the phenomenon, which mm -hmm. resonates with me a lot because I'm not that interested in like government cover-ups and stuff. I find that rather boring and dry. <laughs> That's for somebody yeah. else to deal with. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, their their approach really was so wonderful because when you read the book, you get such a panoply, such a wide variety of 
contactee experiences and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, encounters with just such a different wide array of of entities or whatever you want to call them, you know, like in and then it sort of became homogenized in the late 70s, 80s and 90s, where it was kind of. If it's not a gray alien, then you then it didn't exist, <laughs> you know. Like you know, right, people right. People just decided, like, let's just go to one creature now, you know. Like, and, yeah. And I, I wonder how that happened, or you know, if there's validity validity to any of it. Um, sorry, but back to Nebraska. Uh, so kind of that was a, that's one of my favorite flying wing humanoid stories. But then one of my one of the most dramatic uh, Bigfoot accounts was during in 1967 when that flap was going on in the Myersville area. There were multiple, there was two sets of teenagers who were like physically accosted by a Bigfoot creature. One, uh, yeah, there was two girls driving um, back into Nebraska City at at the time. And they were going down this dirt road called, actually it's called Seven Sisters Road, which I'll tell you about later. Um, This is a place that's right by Minersville. It runs kind of adjacent to the uh, Missouri River. And a lot of weird things have happened on this road. And, um... These, you know, these girls were driving and they saw like what they thought was a bear in the ditch of the country road. And so they're like, oh, my God, a bear. We don't have bear in Nebraska. This is crazy. And as they start driving their car, the thing stands up and it's like, according to them, eight and a half feet tall. And they they had the, now and this is back in the city. So Bigfoot was just coming out. So they actually, I think, used the word Bigfoot, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, and the creature lifted up the back of their car. As, she, as the tires oh. were spinning. <laughs> and, oh, no. Yeah, and they were, oh. like, screaming, freaking out. And then it let the car back down, and they peeled out and drove off as the thing's just, like, standing, like, moving its arms in the road. <laughs> like, you know. Oh, and then man. in that same area a couple days later, and there was, I guess, seven witnesses to this. Like, seven kids. They were, like, you know, it was, like, back in the 60s. So, like, I think it was, like, two cars full of kids were driving down Seven Sisters Road. And this is kind of a popular place, kind of, like, you know, I think where kids would go and make out, have beers, smoke cigs. Yeah, it's a lover's lane. It was a lover's lane situation, which I I wonder, I always kind of wonder, does it, that attract the phenomenon, you know, and like a, mm-hmm. you know, that kind it of heightened emotion to. stuff, you know. Um, obviously, yeah. Jill talked about that quite a bit. But uh, yeah, so they, these two cars were down there, you know, being teenagers, and they saw like glowing red eyes in the dark off the side of the road, and they pulled over to see what it is. Then this creature came like rushing at them, took one of the kids supposedly, and threw at one of the kids in the ditch. And then his friends oh. helped him get out of the ditch, and they got in the cars and took off. But like that, they went to the police right after and reported the kid was all scratched up, his like clothes were torn, and he said that the Bigfoot threw him in the ditch. And um, and that was in the Nebraska City, like just like you know regular newspaper. In Nebraska City, is not. It's not big, but it's not small. It's probably like, you know, population of 50,000. So it's kind of a major, right. for, for Nebraska, that's kind of a big little thing. <laughs> yeah, kind of a big yeah. thing. Yeah. So that was kind of a major story that I, I, you know, in the 60s that came out. But like, it's to me, like, I can't believe that's such a big deal that like nobody here knows about that. When I tell people, like, you know, from Nebraska around, they're like, really? We've had a Bigfoot sighting here? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> No, people don't yeah. know about this stuff. And currently, we there's an area in eastern Nebraska, I'll get to that, that they're having a ton of stuff. But this area of eastern Nebraska, even like even the 80s, there was there was this place called Iron Horse uh, Wildlife Management Center or Wildlife, Wild, Wildlife Management Area. 
And there was a rash in the 80s and 90s of people seeing black cats quite often. It, to to wow. the point of where they, a, a group of like, <laughs> uh, yeah, a group of kind of like country fellas got together and wrote the senator of Nebraska and said, look, we're seeing these black cats around trails where kids are hiking and we need to do something about it. They wrote this like angry 10 page letter to Senator Exxon of Nebraska that they That's were amazing. so incensed that they weren't doing anything about the, the black cat that he thought was a threat to the area. Um, and around the same area, and this all around the Myersville area, there was reports in the 60s and a couple in the early 70s of what was described in the newspaper as a like a three-foot-tall walking raccoon that oh. had like weird like features and glowing red eyes that people would see crossing oh, no. the road. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no. And that, I yeah, know, it, that's, it that's like one of those, oh, no. Yeah, it's like, you know... Uh, you know, in, in the 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 Ponca tribe, the you know Native American tribe around here, and I'm not trying to culturally appropriate anything, but they have uh, a history of talking about a small three foot creature around that area. So long before, yeah. long before you know these people started seeing this stuff. So yeah, and, and even in the 60s into 70s, people were seeing these lights so much in that area that there was this. Uh, kind of ritzy area where the the hoi polloi of uh, Nebraska City lived called Riverview Riverview Drive. And they would go up with picnic baskets and like cold beverages at night in the summer and go wash the lights. And it was just like a wow. normal thing. Like, hey, let's go wash the lights over the Missouri River. But it, it was so funny because I asked the historian, I go, well, what, what, what were they thinking about that? And they, uh, they honestly just thought it was some kind of natural phenomenon that was here for a little bit. They, they didn't think it was like, you know, aliens from another planet or anything. But they just kind of like, look, ah, I guess it's just part of the area. We have these weird lights. And so they just became like, it became kind of a normal situation for them, <laughs> which I kind of love. That's so cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's good fun. And it's good you know fun. what's funny? You, you said there was a wildlife management mm-hmm. area. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the TNT area is. It's the McClinic Wildlife Oh, is it, re- is it really? I, I didn't and know that Management was a area, yeah. Oh, my yeah, Lord. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, it's only, you know, UFO nuts that call it TNT, you know, people like us. Yeah. It, it's actually the McClinic Wildlife Management Area. I didn't and, know that. Was, I actually did not know that was a WMA. That's crazy. Yeah. And, yeah, so you're talking about those those big cats that I'm like, yep. Yep, that's, yep, that's, you know, and, yep. And, uh, and uh, even to this day <laughs> along the Republican River, I mean, like we have a ton. Hunting is pretty big here. And so there, oh, is, yeah. there is wildlife management areas littered throughout the state. And when I talk to some of the – there's a couple people who are Bigfoot researchers in, in the area. And I've talked to all of them. And they say, look, if you want to go find evidence of structures and tracks, go to the wildlife management areas. He's like, they are hanging out there. There are tons of reports from down these areas. So, yeah, it, it does seem like a good place, like, if you're wanting to, like, go explore and look, looking for weird stuff. I feel like a, a good, yeah. anywhere you go, a WMA, or a W, wildlife management area, yeah, WMA is a pretty good place to start. So, yeah, we've had yeah. a lot of weirdness around those areas. Uh, in fact, yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you another flavor of another kind of weird thing we have. We have. In 1957, there was a man named Charles Wetzel, who was a dedicated cat fisherman, and he was doing his usual thing after work. He'd go down to the Platte River and catch some catfish home, take it for dinner. And he was doing his usual thing. And all of a sudden, in the corner of his eye, he sees what 
he thinks is like a pretty good sized deer hopping like six feet in the air as it's just cruising along. And then so he stands up and gets closer to it and he sees that it is a kangaroo. And yep, I was, yes. I was waiting for the kangaroos. Oh, yeah. Oh, we've yeah, got yep. sisters. We've got upas. <laughs> we have got oh yeah um yeah but he, I he saw this thing love and, kangaroos yeah sightings. and then a I couple other them. people actually reported corroborating his story who were in the area so there was like a railroad some railroad workers that same day said they saw it and uh of course some intrepid research actually it was rainbow shea did the research to see if there was a circus in town or a carnival. Because that's always what they say. Yes. That's always what the, the, the cops say. Always. Yep. yep. The closest zoo is three hours away. And um, yeah, it's just, it seems like they would almost be more weird if it was, <laughs> if it was this, I mean, maybe not, but like, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, I don't like, you know, either this guy was making a tall tale and then he convinced some other people to, you know, corroborate his story. Or he really saw something very odd because all three of these men said they saw kangaroos. Like, it's pretty yeah. hard to mistake it. Like, he did think it was a deer at first because that's what made sense to him. Well, yeah, then, that's 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 even the part they play in their ecosystem. Yeah, is basically our deer are like their kangaroos. They're exactly. they're interchangeable in the ecosystem. You're exactly. And right. the head looks very similar. Yes, it does. It they big do kind of. Yeah. Has the, Skinny nose, big mm-hmm. eyes. Yep, slender face. Yeah. If you don't see the little, you know, feet in the front and the big feet and tail, yeah, you could easily look at one and go, "Oh, that's a deer." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Then why is it jumping like that? I mean, I would Uh-oh. love to see that. And you know, it's in in the surrounding states like Kansas, Missouri, and Iowa. They've all had this too. And then Wisconsin oh, yeah. actually mm-hmm. had quite a bit. Wisconsin's had yes. more than a few. And uh, so. I think if you probably looked hard enough, I bet like I, I, I'm just saying this as a guess, but like I at least in the Midwest, there's all, nearly every state surrounding state you can find a record of a kangaroo sighting, and I yep. I, 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 yep. I think that stuff is just good fun. <laughs> I don't know what it means. Yeah, I, I love, love it. I love the whole idea of renegade kangaroos <laughs> running away from zoos and and. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> You know, circus trains. Because have yeah. you ever seen a tame rat? Have you ever seen a tamed, you know, performing kangaroo? No, you have not. Not no, really. Never. <laughs> not I really. Believe it was last year that there was a wallaby in Ohio. Wow. Yeah, but there are wallaby um, farms here. But it There's was an two. actual wallaby that yeah, had escaped. It was a real live it, wallaby. It got wildlife rehabilitated. But wow. I'm thinking about the plains. And I'm thinking about Australia, and I'm thinking kangaroos, if they could handle the cold, would probably be pretty comfortable on the Great Plains yeah. and in the Midwest. There's a lot of, like, a lot of things yeah. to eat. Yeah, a there's a lot to eat. It's similar enough of an ecosystem. There's totally. a decent amount of water. Totally. But I don't know if they could handle the cold. So... <laughs> I mean, I don't think be they a breeding live population. Yeah, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like and I you know in the in the article I honestly because I don't have the the newspaper clipping in front of me, but I can't remember what time of year he saw this thing. But he was fishing outdoors, so I'm going to go ahead and guess it wasn't winter. Yeah, there's not much river fishing yeah. in Nebraska in the winter because they're frozen. But no, uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, kind of also uh, you know, like and so like. Just so I don't like completely abandon the whole Bigfoot thing, I'll tell a couple more Bigfoot things. Uh, 
So, and, and this is more current going on right now. Um, there is a, uh, there's two brothers named Derek and Barry Webster, and they're uh, kind of elder statesmen of the Omaha Indian tribe in Macy, Nebraska, which is just about 75, 75 miles straight north of Omaha, right along the Missouri River. And there is, um, you know, it's reservation land. And it's actually, uh, there's the Omaha Reservation and the Winnebago Reservation. And both tribes have a very long history that they're willing to talk about, actually, because I've, I've had I've called them and had many conversations, and they're super cool. But in in their culture, they have a spiritual wood brother that they call the Sea Tonga. Now we would call the Sea we would call the Sea Tonga basically is a Bigfoot. It's a foot tall creature that you know that lurks around the riparian forest up in that area. But what's interesting, they don't see it as a flesh and blood, like missing link ape. They say, they believe it's like a spiritual brother who lives amongst them. And they have, I mean, and I, I, I have not been up there. It's kind of hard. I'm, I'm arranging a trip with them this spring to go. Then I'm going to pay them a little money, make a donation to the tribal council. And then they're going to take me out for an overnight where we get, you know, tents and go try to communicate with these things. But Barry has this approach where he speaks in the native language to them and has like kind of like when he goes out and, and you know, says stuff to them out, <laughs> out in the tree line, supposedly they appear and they come out. So much so that wow. other like Bigfoot groups have flown him all over the country and he's kind of like replicated his thing. And it, I guess it supposedly has worked. But so apparently... They have so many Bigfoot sightings that it's it's regular. I guess they come on come on the reservation all the time. They look in people's trash. There is one story that Barry told me that's really fun. It's a uh, there was a woman who was complaining that a Bigfoot was like looking in her window, and this is not that long ago, like a couple years ago. And so the tribal police came out and they found, I guess supposedly they heard rustling under her house. There was like a little like a uh, crawl space under her porch. And they saw like a Sasquatch laying in there and they were like trying to shoo it out with like flashlights. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's amazing. Thank you for telling me that story. <laughs> and so, but yeah. Then, yeah. And, and they, there was like in 2020, there was a flying wing humanoid case that was uh, two, two ladies were coming back. Uh, they were actually driving through the area. They weren't from the <clears throat> Omaha reservation or the Winnebago reservation. I think they were probably driving back to Omaha or something. And they saw, this thing flying, they thought it was a UFO at first. They saw like a black mass that was like moving and undulating, flying, that went across their car and then was like kind of like, you know, hovering above their car. And then they saw it and they said it was just like a, they kind of described it as a flying gargoyle. And oh, wow. Yeah. And then there was another um, case not, just like two years prior to that in 2018 where a woman saw the same sort of creature just sitting on top of a bank in the downtown area. <laughs> and mm. I'm like, that's fantastic. <clears throat> that's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, it, you know, when I, when I talk to Barry, he's like, you know, a lot of times we will see this creature, the sea Tonga come out of a purple mist. And they have oh, this, oh. this kind of purple mist that'll appear in certain areas on the reservation land. And they will see things like little stick figures that like little like two foot tall things that look like a bundle of sticks in a humanoid shape running, running around. Yeah. And so it's stick really people. not just, yeah, stick people, which I, it, it, you know, very fey, <laughs> very kind of like mm -hmm. you know, 
fairy-like. In a, I've got I've got reports of those from the Pacific Northwest really? and from Wisconsin. Yeah, I so, you know yeah I, yeah I mean that, that's good to hear because I I actually had not when he told me that I was like oh wow that like I don't know if I'd heard about anything like that you know in the United States but um. Yeah, so Barry, that, that what Barry, and it's called, the, his research team is called, uh, it's called Res Squatching, and it is a thing where you can go out, and he will take you, not everyone, he's very strict, he's not doing this for money, like, even before I talked to him, he was right. like a half hour screening, screening process, he's like, look, if yeah. you come out here, he's like, no dope, no drinking, and I was like, look, okay, that's fine, I'll do my dope and drinking afterwards, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I will respect your wishes, sir, obviously, um. But, uh, yeah, he is a really cool guy. And I just, you know, from talking to him a lot and then talking to other people about him, I don't think he's like, I'm not sure the upside for him of making this stuff up. He's really not putting his name out there in a way where he's trying to be famous. And I I don't know, you know, sometimes you just kind of get a vibe about a person. And the vibe I'm getting from this person is he's genuine. And, you know, he's at least he believes what he's saying, I think. Right. Beyond that, I, you know, I I can't tell you (laughs) like a lot of this stuff, but to me, it's very compelling because he's out there doing the work. He is him and his like little team of brothers and cousins are out there and they're really trying to document this thing now. And, but they, there's, they were also saying like, if we get like a clear video of this, we don't want to share it. We don't want a bunch of people coming here and harming this thing. You know, they see it as like part of their culture and Mm -hmm. really it's part of their spiritualism. And, it, yeah. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And even they even talk about like, you know, he talked to me about, he's like, look in our culture on a special day every year when we have a cer- these ceremonies, a lot of the elders say a deer woman comes. It's a woman mm-hmm. who's a woman on top and she has deer legs. And he's like, he's like, I, he's like, I've seen this thing. <laughs> it came when we do our drum circles once a year, we have these like, I guess like nine different tribes get together and they have like this kind of like week long thing where they do ceremonies, learn about each other's culture. It's a really beautiful situation. And they have this occurrence from time to time where a deer woman will show up and they just I let her show up and do her thing. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I completely believe that sacred yeah. ceremonies that have been kept up for generations have power Yeah, and respect has power yep. and if I I have always thought about, you know, Bigfoot type creatures in particular, that they have, my personal opinion is they are some form of spirits of wilderness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you approach them appropriately and with respect, you have a much higher chance of encountering one. Yeah than if you just run around in the woods and like yell and bang yep. on trees yes. and try and treat them like an animal. Yeah. Because they, you know, a lot of Bigfoot evidence is that these are not stupid animals. Yes. These are not just an ape. Yes. These are something very important to multiple cultures and something that is a worldwide phenomena. And in pretty much every indigenous community that talks about them they're talked about 
respectfully yeah. and as something with great power that should be treated well yep. mm -hmm. or avoided, but either either avoidance or treated well, yep. there is an element of deep respect yes. for these beings. Well, you, you bring up such and, an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, and that that's actually, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I kind of forgot to say that that is Barry and uh, Derek's approach up at, up in Resquatch where it's like they, their two rules are no dogs, no guns. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. he was he was telling me he kind of said like we use the golden rule approach, and that's what I was like. I'm like, oh, that's so yes. smart. He's like, we approach them like we would like to be approached. If if you know, like yes. he's like he's like, you know, if you just think about it, if I was a creature living in a uh, you know amongst the forest as a spirit creature, if someone's coming bang on trees with like an you know AR-17 and they're being all broy and chest puffed, you know, like tough guys. Well, hard pass. I'm not going to come out and interact with that, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's absolutely the case. Yeah. Any any self respecting spirit would you know run away from that. And yeah. Ain't or nobody teach want you that a lesson. Yeah, or I, teach you also you, true. You're exactly right. Exactly. And I'd rather not be taught a lesson. <laughs> yeah. I would yeah. like a. That's... I would like a, like a peaceful interaction. I would like to high five, you know, and like just <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah. learn about each other, man. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I've always I'm very cautious with the paranormal because I've experienced it a mm -hmm. lot. But my base way of coping with it is with respect yes. because it's bigger mm -hmm. than me. Yes. And it is an unknown quantity. Right. And it's clearly very important and powerful and. What do you do when you encounter something unknown that's important and powerful and shows up in every culture on the planet? Yeah. You treat it with respect. Yes. Mm -hmm. And dignity. It, and, you know, I also think backing up and going away from it is a form of respect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're in a place and some stuff's happening, be it UFOs or Bigfoot or whatever... And you get the feeling that it doesn't want you there, then just like you would respect a cougar's mm -hmm. personal space yep. or a bear's personal space or a deer or whatever, respect the UFO's personal space. I yeah. agree. I agree. And you may actually get more out of that. You know, like yes. you may glean because if, if you're leaving in fear, fear has this like, you know, an actual physical effect in the body where it can make memories become less clear and you know like because mm -hmm. so much adrenaline but, but if you you know like if you back off with respect you may glean more about the encounter or you know or not but at least you know going with like hey i respect yeah. this thing man you gave me a little bit of yourself and i got to experience it and thank you so much <laughs> yeah 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 i, you know, I like that i was gonna i was gonna point out there's a book by david politis that is not Missing 411. It's called The Hoopa Project. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. If, it's, if, it, if it's another one of his books that it's a different name, I'll put it in the show notes. But he goes around to the Native American tribes of the Pacific Northwest in California and some in the, in the desert Southwest. And he has a friend with him who is Native American himself, and he is a police sketch artist. Oh. And he goes and he talks with the witnesses and then they describe what they saw and interacted with very detailed to this artist. Mm -hmm. 
if you look at those pictures, it doesn't look like an animal mm. at all. It looks like a hairy man. Yeah. The, there's, there's like one or two features that makes it a little less man-like. Like their, their neck is short, but it may not actually be short. It may just be so muscle-bound up through here that it makes the neck appear short. And then sometimes there's a little bit of the point to the back of the head, like a sagittal crest. Right. But mostly, they look human. Well, and, and that I, to me tells me that yeah, th maybe there is a spirit brother. Yes. To humans. Yes. I think Ooh. that it's sort of like you know, orangutan means forest man. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what the, that's what orangutan means. Really, is, is forest human basically, uh, or man of the forest? And if I've gotten to see an orangutan very close in a zoo once, and the eyes are not the eyes of something without intelligence. Right. Mm-hmm. I have any time I have seen a great ape. Mm-hmm they have not looked like something that wasn't kin. They look like kin. And in my brain and in my heart, I feel like they are cousins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they are genetically, like, our near relations. But the maybe it's just because humans are wired to recognize the similar facial features and the similar facial structures and everything. But they do seem to be kinfolk. And I know that's like super fluffy and no. woo-woo. No, no, I hear not you. Really. Yeah. I and I feel like when you look at animals, they're also a form of kin. But I think if I'm pretty sure Bigfoot is something that if we're not related to it to it and it's not related to us like if it's not the missing link which I am very up in the air about is it a right. missing link I right. think it's spiritual mm -hmm. more spiritual than material yeah um, but it is still kin of some form and we all mm -hmm. just seem to have forgotten that the animals that we share this planet with are in some way shape or form related to us yeah I mean, you know, I, I I tend to kind of be more compelled by that notion as well. And I, I mean, I sort of would like take it maybe like a step further and say like whatever the UFO pilots are or the hundreds of different things that, you know, a guy like John Keel writes about in terms of like entities and stuff, they may just be all be sort of related to us and share this this earth and realm with us, you know, like they yeah. may be closer to us than we think, or they may be part of us, you know, like it's like, yeah, I, I have a hard time. Like my, most of my life was spent thinking these, like these are foreign entities that have, that are completely separate from earth and they're coming here and interacting in our time and space. But not, I don't have that feeling so much anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm not yeah. saying I've decided on that. In two years, I may go back to my old way of thinking. But, you know, like right now, the idea is that, you know, like in Josh, Joshua Cush and Timothy Renner's wonderful two volumes, uh, Where the Footprints End, 
I think there are, I mean, like I, they present a pretty compelling case for, you know, what we know to be as Bigfoot or Sasquatch, that it is material and non-material in my opinion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think put yeah. that, put that in the paranormal court of law and I think it holds water, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to also point out that, uh, I, I've had this weird idea and it, it's, it's it's been around in my head for a while that what if some of these beings are simply half of our soul yeah. that is not material at this time mm. right so that they 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 can become material for short periods of time but they're not all the time Right. But they're there, and they they seem to have to interact with us, you know. I mean, yeah, sure. I've seen weird things happening in the woods, and I've looked at it, and you know, gone. And they didn't come out and interact with me. Right. They weren't interacting with me. I was spying on them. Yeah. Um, and that's usually not a good thing to do. So I try not to do it anymore. But <laughs> it's still the case that there seems to be a a great desire to communicate with us. And if they were from some realm entirely other than ours, right? why do they need to talk to us so bad? You know, yeah. why, why communicate? And then when they communicate, it isn't anything like, Hey bro, yeah. we're from Arcturus man. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we want you to join the galactic federation. The only people who get that are like, contactees and usually yeah. they end up like messed up by this phenomena messing with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, and they, it, you don't get the, the star Trek thing you get, Hey, you're tearing up your, your, your planet. Why are you doing that? Yeah. That's not good. Yep. What's this nuclear energy thing? I don't like it. Yeah. Can we not? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's well, like, you know, it, it's it, something it, that has to do with this earth. Yeah. See, and, I, I agree. I so agree. <laughs> And it's trying to get little brother over here to chill out with yes. the, you know, industrial revolution shit. Absolutely. And, and stop that. Yes. Absolutely. You know? I, I, I mean, Believe look. in something. Yeah. <laughs> don't, it's, don't tear it all up. Yeah. Look, I, yeah, this place is so special and precious. <laughs> yeah. I mean. And, and it's all we got. It's all we got. <laughs> yep. I mean, like, yeah, I know. I know people are like, well, well, no, we'll, we'll, you know, go to Mars and terraform that. I'm like. I don't know. Why Do don't you we just know try- how hard that is? And also, why don't we just <laughs> why don't we just try to fix this place? It's it is fixable, <laughs> you know. Like yeah, but yeah, and know. it's our home. It's our home, man. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. And even if our, even if we do join the federation and our trees, right. yeah, every we're other still, living thing on this still planet, be our home. humans, absolutely, we have the ability to just destroy this. Yes, but with the ability to destroy also comes the ability to not destroy absolutely yeah it's a choice like destruction is a choice yeah well i mean like you know the obliteration of the earth is a choice i mean like there there in there are there are practical real solutions out there that we could as as a planet and species all come together and say look we're gonna make some sacrifices maybe we can't eat steaks all the time maybe we all can't you know fly in airplanes you know 10 times a year you know maybe there should be limits on that stuff and I'm okay yeah. living a restricted lifestyle if it means to help 
save the future of Everybody the human else. race. I mean, yeah, like, same. you know, but until we all agree upon that or the controllers of, you know, people who control Society. our economic system. Yeah. Agree upon that. Then it won't happen. You know, sadly, the yeah. three of us can be in the same mindset and go, hey, we'll do this. We'll make these sacrifices, but it will make a difference. You know, like I like yeah. to think that me recycling my bottles and cans every week is helping out, but it's really not, <laughs> you know, like and we need to. It's not helping change. that much. Yeah. You know it, it, it will help if you plant a tree or a garden, though. I do. I'm yeah, that avid does gar- help. I'm an avid gardener. And I, I'll, there I, you I'll, go. I'll, I'll tell you what. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this program while gardening. It pairs so well with gardening. <laughs> Highly recommend trying Good to know. Out there. Yeah. As, as a fond gardener myself, that makes me happy. Yeah, it makes nothing, me happy, too. Nothing better than getting your fingers in the dirt. I swear, it is the greatest therapy on earth. It's truthfully, it is designed to do. There's a there's a uh, uh, bacterium that can sink into your hands from soil that Mm. helps with serotonin. Yep, we found that out last year. Yeah, I was like, really? Well, yeah. So I'm not crazy. Well, the whole grounding, the whole concept of grounding, you know, like putting your bare feet on grass like multiple times a day, that was considered like, you know new agey, you know, nonsense for many years. And now there is like this study by the UCLA Medical College coming out saying like, not only is it really good for you, like in lowering cortisol levels, you know, uh, increasing serotonin, but they're also finding that it is like reducing the size of tumors and helping like Mm -hmm. cancer, people with like blood cancers actually minimize the effects of, I mean, so like there is, now proof scientifically, you know, that, you know, being around the earth and touching the earth and spending as much time as you can outside is incredibly beneficial, not only mentally, but physically. I yeah. love that it has taken us such a short period of time to forget that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because if you go back right before the industrial revolution, People knew that. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And then we just, we threw, I think to an extent when we had, you know, the enlightenment, we threw out some stuff that we should have kept. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of it. Like we, we threw out a lot of bathwater and didn't keep, and there was a very small baby in there. Right. Right. But we did miss the tiny baby. And I think, I think spirituality and what sounds woo woo sometimes has some good sense to it. Not all of it does. And you need to be circumspect about it. Oh, I agree. But you know, I feel like everybody knew at a certain point that being outside is good for you. And, and it's only been in the last couple hundred years that we've been like, Oh, well we don't have time to go outside. So we won't. And then we wonder why we're so stressed. Yeah, exactly. We're doing things. Our technology has allowed us to do things that human brains were not designed to be able to understand. Yeah. Well, the technology is in a scary place right now because so much of the technology that's new and cutting edge and especially in the consumer format is avoiding going outside. It's it's yeah, designed yeah. to bring everything to you, your entertainment, your food, you know, your friends. I mean, in, in like obviously during a pandemic, what a wonderful thing. That was such a nice oh, yeah. way. 
But it's not really, I think, a good long-term way for us to be living. No. And I, I've even no. I, I've even noticed like, you know, suffering in my own like social abilities. I, I have like social anxiety, you know, like now for the first time in my life. And that is so foreign to me. I never thought not in a crippling way. I still can go out and like see friends, but like I get a little nervous before I walk into like meet friends for dinner or go to a bar. I'm like, oh boy, there's a lot of people in there. Yeah. You know, like in, in and, but yeah. I, I do feel myself getting happier the more I'm out and about, you know, like going to yeah. a bookstore as opposed to like ordering a book and having it sent to me. There's something about even a small journey of going to even pick up food or like going to pick up a book or, you know, I even miss renting movies because the, oh, God, the experience of watching a film, look, I went out and got it. I looked at a bunch of like different, you know, options. I chose it. I put it in my hand. I brought it home. I physically put it into a DVD player, VH, you know, v, VCR. I find that now entertainment is brought to us so easy that I don't like have the appreciation I do for it anymore. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, you yeah. know. So I'm sorry. I got. Yeah. I think I didn't mean to get us. So no, yeah. No, I, I I pulled a hard left turn there. Well, it all relates. It's, though. It's okay. It all relates. It, it does relate, though. I, <laughs> I, I, mean, I was gonna say we can we can bring it back to Nebraska real easy. I got I got a person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only weird Nebraska stuff I knew about Ooh. was Herbert Shermer. Well. Thank you for that lovely segue because I would love to talk about Nebraska UFOs. Um, I and we'll start with there we go. That is there probably, we go. That is probably our you know uh, beacon on the hill, like shining you know biggest yeah. mainstream UFO account we have, and it's a pretty big one. So in 1967, there was a police officer who I believe was 22 at the time named Herbert Shermer, and he was a guy who fought in the war, and he was a you know, pretty respected dude in the town. He's just a young cop doing his job. And he was on his nightly rounds. And I believe around, gosh, I'm so bad with like dates and times. But I think it was like <laughs> two in the morning. He was going by the yeah. filling station, making sure everything was okay there. And then he was on his way back. And right at the junction of, it, they changed the, the numbers of it. But it used to be the junction of six and 66. <laughs> so at the junction of 666. He sees this kind of uh, football, like if you turned a football on its side, it was a metal, mm -hmm. like gunmetal craft that had fire emanating out of the bottom. And uh, he was like, what? At first he thought it was like when he, he saw it, he just kind of saw the lights and the fire. And he's like, oh, it's an overturned semi or a semi is having problems. So he gets closer to it, learns quickly it's not a semi. And, you know, so he sees this thing and then he like freaks out I, it takes off and he drives zips you know back to the, the station immediately tells the sheriff and the other like police officers fills out a report he's chain smoking he's totally like what did i just experience and you can even see in the police stories like i saw a ufo tonight believe it or not and that was like the, the end of his report yeah and i actually saw the yeah. original report not to brag uh, but uh, <laughs> uh i'm a huge nerd uh, <laughs> but um <laughs> he goes back and then he has these, you know, well, actually, first what happens is, so he, he has this, it comes out in the newspaper uh, off at Air Force Base, which at the time was one of the biggest, like, behind NORAD, it was like the second biggest, like, nuclear missile strategic air command place. And so it was a real big, it still is a big deal, but at the time it was a huge deal. They came out and checked it out, you know, investigated it. They found like a tiny piece of metal 
But then no one knows what happened to that bill. I'm sure they took it. And uh, but what happened was kind of in, was kind of sad. The whole town pretty fast just turned on this man. And yeah. he, the local pastor of the church was like, he is demonic. He is the spawn of yeah. Satan. They went so far as to children were making effigies of him and lighting him on fire, taking shots at it. There was like, the people were like spray paint or like, you know, drawing on like the police station, like Satan cop, you know, like, I mean, they thought it was all like devil demonic related. And this poor man was like such a heretic in his own town that he ended up moving out of Ashland, quitting the police force, changing his name. And he only popped up one time in the seventies to talk about this stuff. But for the rest of his life, he lived in total obscurity. Didn't talk about this stuff, became super religious. Um, And to kind of go back. So that's just kind of like the surface story. Um, After this happened, um, Leo Sprinkle contacted him and he drove down and went to meet with Herbert. And so, you know, and look, I'm not the biggest hypnotic regression person in the world, but I do like Leo Sprinkle. Um, But Leo Sprinkle did hypnotically regress him. And he had a, you know, when he, he recovered a bunch of, you know, what Herbert claimed to be a very, you know, intense abduction experience where in his memory, when he pulled up, you know, that was recovered when he pulled up to the UFO, um, a entity walked off that had like kind of like a spacesuit on with a, a serpentine emblem on his chest, which mm-hmm. you've seen in other UFO reports, which I found very interesting that kind mm-hmm. of you've mm-hmm. seen, you know, UFO knots with a kind of like a dragon or, you know, reptilian or a, uh, he, this happened to be like a serpentine like patch on his like silver outfit. And he showed him all like, you know, and he kind of had these like, um, stories about you know kind of like you know you guys need to take better care of earth and he showed him how the propulsion works and showed him all the gadgets and stuff and herbert drew all these wonderful pictures very intricate very detailed with a lot of physics and science about how the craft worked i'm like this is a 22 year old cop who never went to college i'm not even sure he graduated from high school and he's like laying all the stuff out it's quite impressive um so much so that like when the uh, condon committee was doing their thing in colorado they actually brought Herbert to testify up in Colorado. And then after shortly after that, he's like, I don't want any part of this. This is like ruined my life. You know, I'm not trying yeah. to get famous. I'm not going to write a book. I'm just going to disappear. Um, but two years ago, I was lucky enough. It, it's kind of ironic. The town of Ashland, Nebraska, where this happened, they were so horrible to him. Almost like as horrible as I've ever heard. You know, like me, obviously Willie Streamer was treated terribly, but like they really treated this poor man awful. Whether this thing happened or not, they shouldn't have done this. No, um, no. Yeah, right? No. Well, like, so like two years ago, the town of Ashland was having, every summer they have like Ashland days where it's kind of like, you know, they have a carnival and like, you know, hay rides and all that junk and cotton candy. But the theme this year was UFOs and the Herbert Shermer case. And I'm like, oh uh. my God. Oh, geez. Now they're like, you know, and. um. Oh, yeah, that's. So, that's- Tacky. It, it's kind of tacky, but you know, I'm like, well, I have, I have to go down and check it out, simply because I had heard that th- his two surviving brothers were going to be there. And I was like, oh, well, this is fantastic. So I went down. Nine people show up for their lecture. I mean, and then like half of them were asleep. I'm not even joking. 
And these two old men kind of corroborated everything that Herbert uh, claimed that he saw. Then afterwards, they did a really abbrevi- abbreviated talk because honestly, like no one cared except for me. It was kind of sad. <laughs> it kind of bummed Aww. me out. Aww. But I, but because they were there and bored, um, I went up and just said, "Hey, do you mind if I like talk to you guys?" And they were totally cool. They were really excited to talk to like this enthusiastic lar- large Nebraska kid. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I talked to him for about an hour. And the thing that they told me that was kind of revelatory to me is that. When Herbert and the older brother were kids, their father was working, I think, at white around White Sands, New Mexico, or they were oh. driving around. He was he was a military guy, and they were driving with the family around White Sands, New Mexico, and they said they saw a landed silver disc. The whole family did, mm. Herbert included, and that was never mentioned in any of the literature I'd ever read about Herbert. So I was like, "Ooh, I got a little scoop of a story," because like I know, and, and probably they probably knew that. But back in those days, and even now, like a MUFON or NICAP, they do they did not want repeat experiencers. Oh they, no. They no. thought those... that would like, you know, deflate the story. But yeah, to me, yeah. that's like a huge part of the story that I never knew is that look, he had this he his whole family had an experience with a silver saucer back in like the early fifties. I'm like, that's pretty major, man. <laughs> like Yeah. So And yeah, that, that, that's what Keel meant by you know, ask about their family. Absolutely. Because so, there's yeah. always something weird. There, there, there is. And I was not expecting to, you know, get to talk to these guys, you know, very much at all. And they were so happy to talk to somebody who believed. And they told me like, Lurek, look, like, while this is kind of like a big, you know, it's kind of neat that they were like, it's very cool that Herbert's being remembered in a positive way today. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. They're like, but overall, he never wished this happened to him. It it, it, yeah. it had an impact, and he's like he was really open about talking about it with us. But when he did, he got really emotional, and he became a very religious man afterwards. Like he kind of found his solace in the church, and uh, yeah, it disrupted his life, and it really was not a great thing for him. The experience itself was not negative, but it was everyone's reaction to him, which kind of yeah took a toll on the yeah. poor man. So yeah. that's kind of uh, that's kind of one of my favorites, and then I'll kind of go rewind back in time because it's an Omaha case, and I'm from Omaha. And uh, so in the late 1800s, when the, all the flying airship flaps were happening, Nebraska was at the forefront. We have as many as anywhere, really, and that's and that's just around Hastings, Nebraska. There was tons of sightings, Lincoln, and this went on for multiple years. And they were happening all over the country, really. And I I know the Bay Area had a ton, but Kansas, Illinois had a ton, and Nebraska had a a lot that are documented in newspapers. And the one that, like, always, like, because I'm a, you know, it's a local, local case, is that in 1897 in Omaha, Nebraska, which it was always kind of a rich, thriving town because it was a river city that had a lot of cattle, and Union Pacific was kind of like, one of the places it first started was hubs was in Omaha. So it was kind of a thriving town. A lot of people from New York moved here for work and, you know, to the American dream. And, um, in 1897 there, they had already experienced the flying airships. So this, this wasn't a new phenomenon, but one came down very low and it looked like a big cigar shade craft with like, you know, these like headlights that were shining all around and it hovered above downtown Omaha and 500 people witnessed this. 
And this is an article that the Nebraska Historical Society, I've actually talked to somebody from the Historical Society to kind of corroborate what they knew. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have the same stuff and we have more. So she actually sent me a bunch of articles that were written back then about it. And supposedly on top, there was men, like four foot tall men with beards on top of the metal cigar waving at people. <laughs> from the downtown. They were just waving like, hey, folks of Omaha, how are you? <laughs> we're here to oh. weird you out. So, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and there was definitely, like, around Nebraska, there was definitely kind of, like, contact with some of these people in the flying airships. A lot of times they were saying, like, hey, we're going to Brazil tomorrow. Do you know what time it is there? And they would ask really weird questions. You know, like, yeah. how, many, how many gallons of water are in that lake? You know, they would ask, like, so many, like, kind of inane, weird, like, almost men in black type questions that they didn't really... They looked humanish, but didn't behave quite humanish, you know, like, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, you know, that, that is, uh, it's, it's also, I mean, I, I, get, I don't know why it like drives me crazy that people don't know or care around here about that. I'm like, guys, <laughs> we had a mass signing here. No one cares, but you know, it, it we're is lonely so in these topics, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lonely world waiting for this stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it can't be. Yeah. yeah. But not yeah. when you meet new buddies like you guys. So. Um, yeah, true. But another case, and I'm gonna, I'm just jumping around here. Uh, so another Omaha-ish case, uh, another kind of famous one is um, in 1975. There was a carful of, I think you know, kids in their 20s, and they were driving back from Council Bluffs, Iowa. Really, where I live in Omaha, you could like throw a softball over the river, and it's Iowa. Like I'm, I can be in Iowa in eight minutes from where I live. So right. we're right on the border. Council Bluffs is kind of considered Omaha almost. But in Council Bluffs, right across the river from Omaha, this car full of people saw a disc-shaped craft that was glowing red and it was like wobbling, hovering above this place called Big Lake Park. And another car full of people saw the same thing. So they called Eppley Airfield, which is our local airport. They called the police and they came down and they found on this levee going uh, down in the park, all this molten slag that was like, you know, it looked like fresh lava that had came, come out of a volcano mm-hmm. was dripping all over this levee. And oh, so they wow. took they took samples of it. And then Jacques Vallée loves this case. In, in fact, some of the one of the two pieces of metamaterial that him and Gary Nolan are currently working on at Stanford is this slag that was taken oh, from, awesome. taken from this park. Not to brag. Uh, just kidding. Um, but um, you're allowed to have hometown pride, you, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Totally. I'm, I'm just so proud of it. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's a really interesting case. And Valet came down and did some research on it. So he's like, "All right, the first thing we have to figure out is where in Nebraska, what's the closest place in Nebraska that can create, that can melt steel to that point?" And it was like 300 miles away. And then he's like, "Okay, so if this, let's say this." factory in like western nebraska melted the steel then had to transport it and then drop it from the air and he's like he's like i don't know what can do that you know so he kind of like was able to like throw out the the notion that you know it was a hoax also i mean like that's a pretty extravagant hoax i don't think teenagers could do that that's you require technology and funding yeah, and a lot of people to figure and that one out. fast transportation. Right. And who are they doing it for? Two carfuls of people? I mean, like, that's not, yeah. a, that's not a very, like, you know, meaningful hoax if you're doing yeah. it that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but that, that is a really fun case. And again, like, uh, 
we have a very good historic, local historical society, and they're not afraid to write about this stuff. And they have multiple written beautiful pieces about documenting this this uh, this this particular case. And it, it's just a fun one because, like, it's it's actually still being studied today. You know, even though it's like what almost fifty years later, this case is kind of still in play because it's one of the few compounds that Jacques has. Like, this is truly crazy. There's no way we could fold the pieces of metal like that. And, you know, like in, in, in yeah. they're, they're pretty confounded with how this was constructed. They're like, we just don't know how they would do that on earth. You know, the elements yeah. aren't weird, yeah. but it's the way they're compounded. So, you know, and the it, isotopes, yeah. And the that isotopes. they have different numbers of electrons. Exactly. That, mm, it, exactly. That's the time. Every time I hear about metamaterial, all I can think about is the Dwarven Smiths in Norse mythology. Mm, I know about <laughs> those. Yes. You're not like, wrong. I never thought about that. That's all I can think is all of the mythical Smiths mm-hmm. that made amazing weapons or amazing tools totally. with magical properties. And like, you, just that's all I can think is magical weapons made uh, by gods or fairies well, you or know, dwarves. Morgana, if you—that's such a great, like, interesting uh, analysis. Because if you think about, like, I know Valet, like, I think in the Trinity book thought thought about, like, well, what if like UFOs are like a three D printer and they just print them on demand? You want a right? you want a saucer? Well, well, instantly print a saucer using the the elements around Earth. But like that almost makes sense. Like maybe the slag is like you know the excrement from the three D printing of the craft they saw. <laughs> you know, like right. yeah. it's like the leftover material that they didn't need. So you know, I never thought yeah. about it like that. That's really interesting. Leftover material. It could be. Honestly, it might have the craft might have just dissolved because its purpose was done. Yep. Yes. And yes. like fairy gold that evaporates back into leaves yeah. in the morning. Like yeah, it well, just disappears. Yeah, and don't tulpas, once their use is done, like in the Vedic tradition, don't they disappear? I think they do kind of just yes. disintegrate. Like once well, the use of the if, tulpa. Yeah, if you if you created it, you're supposed to dissipate it as well. Right. Right. It's kind of on you to do that. Right. Um, but sometimes they kind of go off on their own, and the tulpa that was created by someone becomes a cloak for another being to wear, mm. and it, it goes and it creates trouble, and that's why you're supposed to, you know, take take out the trash after you're done playing <laughs> yeah. with the tulpa. Well, it's you like, you, it's you like can't banishing. be just letting it. Yes, you can't be just letting it hang out. You yeah, because it's going to do something. Yeah, you can't uh, do the Babylon yeah, working I, and then not send it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yes, yes. That's yeah. I remember. Mm-hmm. I, I have. I, I have a friend who. Well, I, I haven't talked to him for years, but he was like, you know, into you know, kind of like thelemic magic and stuff. He's like, dude. He's always. He was like, dude. You gotta learn banishing first, man. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, sounds good, Seth. <laughs> yes. <You> got it. <laughs> yes. First two things you should learn are how to put a war- circle up so things can't eat your face and yeah. how to get rid of the thing that wants to eat your face. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> yeah. He used to always tell me, he's like, man, you're into all this UFO stuff. He's like, bro, you should really learn banishing, man, because like that stuff will follow you. And at the time, I was like, oh, whatever. And now I'm kind of like, I think he was right. <laughs> yeah. I probably should. <laughs> no, seriously. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
he was, was correct. He was if if you remember, in a couple of Keel's books, he says the only people who knew what was going on were the occultists, witches, and magicians. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they were like, oh, no, 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 we know about these. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but no, y'all man. don't listen to us. Yeah, look, I just started reading a Kent Grant book yesterday, Beyond the Mob yeah. Zone. Be- I'm, I'm a huge Twin Peaks guy, and I know, and I know a lot of Twin Peaks lore and the mythology of it is kind of like like influenced by a lot of Kenneth Grant stuff. So I'm reading that, but like mm-hmm. he is an interesting writer. I've never read any oh, of his yeah. stuff. I've only read about him, but I've never read his stuff. And I'm, I'm quite enjoying beyond the mob zone. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a good writer. He is. He has a he's lot fun. of cool stuff. Yeah. 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 So, um, let me think like I, 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 there's a couple other modern things I want to tell you about, but I guess I'll mention one, you know, we got a contactee, a kind of a, he's, he's, I don't think he's super well known, but his name is John Foster. And he has had, according to him, like thousands of contact experiences and like all over the place. One time, even like, I guess the first contact experience he had, he was like nine years old and him and his friend were like circled by a group of bullies and a saucer came down and little three foot tall, like gray looking, you know, humanoids came in and took care of the bullies for him. Which I thought, what a wonderful little after-school special that would have been. Um, yeah. But one of the one of my favorite like stories he tells about his you know contact experience is that in the in the state of Nebraska, Nebraska football, which used to be very good, it was we have no pro sports here, so it's kind of like a religion here. People are very serious about Nebraska football, so we have a huge big stadium with like eight thousand people. And he said him and his wife were in a Nebraska football game. And that all of a sudden this fog rolled in on the field and that they stopped playing the football game and that a huge mothership hovered above the <laughs> the stadium. And everyone was looking up, the players stopped, the referee looked up, and everyone's like looking at this big thing. And then all of a sudden the fog starts dissipating and the craft like takes off and everyone goes back to normal like they didn't see anything and only him and his wife like were like wait what like so uh oh, that's, wow. that's i mean that's a very troubling story to me for some reason psychologically oh but, yeah uh, yeah i mean you know i i take most of the contactee stuff with a grain of salt but they're just kind of fun anecdotes and stories and so i thought i'd i thought i'd mention that um that's yes. an interesting one yeah yeah the whole is, it, the whole idea of this mystical fog coming right and then there's the there's the UFO. Everybody's looking at it, yep. and then the fog dissipates. There's nothing there, and everybody's like, "Oh, we're gonna play football now." Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, blow the whistle back. To uh, the yeah. But I it, wonder you know, if there was anybody else in the crowd who saw it and remembered it, and just has question. been wandering around by themselves. Being like, I ain't gonna tell nobody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, man? Honestly, well, I ain't yeah, gonna and, say nothing. Yeah, and if somebody who had a flask on him had a flask he'd been drinking all through the game, (laughs) and then he just threw that flask away. And he's like, "This stuff doesn't work." Never talk to anybody again. (laughs) Yeah, the day I quit, nope, I'm done. (laughs) I I mean, like, mm, no, it's 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 always I always find that so funny when people are like, "Man, he saw a UFO. What was he smoking?" Like, Like, look, I've smoked a little bit of grass in my time. And I have never seen anything like a UFO <laughs> because I smoked. Yeah. Weed. It's such a crazy notion. Yeah. I know. People, I know. understand your drugs better. Gosh. Um, <laughs> but um, so that that is, I, I, could, I could talk about him for two hours, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of really weird, like, UFO stuff. Um, and I, I want to give you more of a, 
overview. Um, so a couple of the things I'm sort of personally working on. I uh, About a year and a half ago, I was just like, you know, it was during the pandemic. My line of work, the whole like, you know, showbiz thing was really like totally shut down during the pandemic. They were hardly shooting anything. So I kind of yeah. felt like I had this like sabbatical. So I really like made it my nine to five job into like researching Nebraska stuff. Um, so anyway, I was At like, you school. know, yeah, it was, it was really some of the greatest months of my life, to be honest. I, it was like what I always wanted to do to play John Keel, you know? So, uh, I found this, gosh, I can't remember what website or th- form it was, but I found this guy his, who was a bow hunter and he had described this very dramatic Bigfoot experience about an hour away from where I live in this tiny little village called Douglas, Nebraska, which is a literally a village of 68 people. It's in the middle of the cornfields. Just your cell phone doesn't even work out there because I've been out there. But so I like I heard about the story and I was like, oh, my God. And a lot of the stuff he was saying, it was it was around a lot of places where people experienced a lot of things. So I was like, he sounds really scared. And he like wasn't using his real name and it didn't seem like he wanted anything out of this. So I was able to kind of do some internet sleuthing and find his contact information. And I wrote him a, like I wrote him a an email. Heard didn't hear anything back. I wrote him another one, didn't hear anything back. And finally the third email, he wrote back. He's like, I'm willing to I'm willing to have a phone conversation with you, but I won't take you out there. And I'm like, fair enough. And so we hop on the phone and he tells me this very dramatic story of where he was going to check his uh salt licks he's a big bow hunter for deer and so mm-hmm. he was on this farmer's property um it's like a family friend and this farmer owns all the all the farm property around this area for as far as the eye can see this one farmer owns all of it and it's just big tall it's either soybean fields or it is tall very tall corn stalks corn, and yeah he went out there to check his salt licks and he was like you know pulling his car up and he was like you know grabbing a big salt lick to go set out for the deer so he could track the deer, putting up some trail cams. And I didn't know any of this. I'm not a hunter. I didn't know how much like work hunter, like deer hunters do before they actually. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's like a year round thing. And a lot of it's mostly just tracking, setting up, you know, salt things, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So he was pulling his truck up and he sees this above this like bush. He showed me the, I'll get to that, but he's above this bush. A face of a giant, it was a black hair, conical, like shaped head with two eyes. And he said he drove up, got out of his car, looked at this thing. And and he's like, he's like, I literally did the thing where I was rubbing my eyes because I was sure I was seeing things. He's like, I just got off work. I was really tired. So I was sure I was seeing things. But then the thing stands up and it's gigantic. And he says he almost has, he's like, I literally almost had a heart attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. He's like, because I was seeing something that should not be there. And the man was absolutely freaked out, peeled out in this thing. And he could see the thing. He like looked at it, looked back a couple times to make sure he was seeing what he was seeing. And sure enough, he, you know, kept on seeing it. And so that happened and he was so traumatized. He stopped bow hunting. He wouldn't go to that area. In fact, he just didn't hunt for two years. Mm. And he had been hunting since he was four years old with his grandfather. It was like a way of life. It's how he kept meat in his freezer. And he just stopped doing it. I can't. It ruined hunting for me. He was like super depressed about it. So I talked to him and I'm like, oh my gosh, Sean. His name's Sean. And now he doesn't mind if I use his name. His name's Sean Wilson. And uh, he... I kind of convinced him. I go, look, can you just tell me where this is? Can you give me the coordinates, drop a pin? Because I do want to go check it out. And, you know, I go, I am not asking you to do it. And he goes, 
He goes, it's so hard to find. You'll never find it. He's like, screw it. He's like, meet me at this park, you know, at 9 a.m. on Sunday, and I will drive you to the area, and then I'm leaving. And he's like, if if you have a gun, I highly recommend bringing one, or I'll let you borrow one of mine. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. I don't need a gun. I'm not a gun guy. So, (laughs) all good, brother. (laughs) And so, I meet him out there, and he's, you know, He's no nonsense. Or and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And I'm just, I'm kind of like a very like outgoing, you know, try to be mm-hmm. a sweetheart, you know. And I brought him like a coffee. I'm like, hey, trying to bring a coffee and a pastry. He's like, no thanks. All right, follow me. And it was like no nonsense, like at all. Like he wanted to get this over with. So he took me out to the property. And at first he was just going to show me where he saw the creature. But then he takes me back into this kind of like forest part where he has a bunch of his trail cams and shows me these structures that you guys, I'm not joking, like, they were so impressive. <laughs> like, I could not believe it. Wow. There was gigantic, lo- like, tr- like big tree logs X'd up way up high in these oak trees. All kinds oh. of, like, weird things that definitely, I'm, I mean, like, I'm I, obviously, I'm not an arborist. I don't know a ton about nature. Just, you know, kind of a average level. But, like... I have no idea how this stuff was put together unless he had like a tractor or weights and pulleys doing it just for me because this is not like something you could see from the, the road. You had to like hike in right about a half a mile to see this stuff. And it was, it, I'm not joking. Like it was so mind blowing to where I was actually like really scared because I was like, Oh, I'm sure we're going to see this creature now. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm prepared for this. But he came out. Oh, he was, man. He was fully armed. He had two, like, nine millimeter pistols, one in his shoulder, one in his hip. And he's like, and he was like, he showed me this stuff. And you could tell he was real nervous, too. And I was like, okay. So we did that for about a half hour. And he's like, he's like, look, you can stick around, but I'm getting out of here because, you know, like, it, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm like, fair enough. And I stuck, I stuck around there for about five minutes made a cute little video on my phone. And I was like, I'm kind of scared. I got the creeps in such a major way. And I was like, my yeah. cell phone doesn't work out here. No one could hear me scream. Like, I mean, it just felt, I felt too alone. Only one man knows where you are and he's gone. And he's gone. Yep. He's not yep. coming back, man. And that's what he said. He's, you know, and, and um, so I, I left and then we've continued to talk though. And he has had another encounter and he actually sent a picture to me of what he thinks is a Bigfoot head in like, in like these trees. And when he circles it on like the little picture he sends me, it's like, it does look like the face of like what you would think a Bigfoot looks like. I, I, I can, I'll send you guys the picture if you want to see it. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's not like mind blowing, like, you know, case closed. There it is. But like, you can see what he's talking about. And, um, mm-hmm. and he also has a trail cam video of like, what looks like a hairy arm covering the top oh, half Lord. of the trail cam video. But this guy continually says he gets whooped at and he gets like things thrown at him. And now he's not scared. He says he says he actually shot a deer and left it for the whatever the creature that he says it it was is. Yeah. And he said, I since I did that, there's been no more like violent behavior. He's like, I'll hear See? whoops Respect. and stuff, but it feels, it feels, he's like, it feels different. He's like, the whole vibe of the place is different now. Now I'm not scared to go hunting. He's like, I feel like I just have to leave an offering. But he, he's yeah. having ongoing yeah. stuff, you know, like, he's like, I'm not going out there right now because the roads are too bad. Because it's like, you know, he's like, but, you know, in a month or so, if the roads clear up, him and I are going to go out again. And he's going to take me out early in the morning. He's like, we'll meet here at four in the morning. He's like, they're super active around like between four and five in the morning. 
so I'm going to go out with him. And I, nice. I am, I'll tell you, I am nervous because, like, it, you know, like, oh, yeah. as much as I want to experience thing, I'd be lying if I said I'm not a little scared. But, you know, I definitely am taking him up on that. I have to. So that's oh, been yeah, fun. You, and, yeah. And I'm really trying to. Yeah, you the, have my phone number too. So if you see some shit, you got to call, call you. me. I'll need to talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah somebody. I figure. I will call you. I swear. <laughs> I, you're my paranormal therapist. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and so that that there's more to that, but like I, I could, that I could really talk about that all day because it, it, I'm trying to tr- you know learn, take a little page out of the the valet book, and I want to try to follow this guy throughout his lifetime to see how this yeah, affects yeah, him, yeah, because it has affected him. He's like he's like I'm actually yeah. he's actually he's like actually thinking about not eating meat anymore and just becoming like you know a, a hunter who kills the thing and then gives it gives the meat away. He's like he's like it's kind of changed my perspective. And he, he's now, at first he thought it was just like a weird ape, and now he thinks it's something spiritual. And, mm-hmm. he, and, and he has a bunch of footprints, too, that he's found in the cornfields and stuff. I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't know how these corn these footprints would appear in a cornfield. Obviously, unless he's hoaxing me, which he could be. Maybe he's going to all this trouble to hoax one person from Omaha, Nebraska. To me, that seems unlikely. I mean, he's got yeah, four, that, four kids that, and a full-time job, you know? So Yeah, that doesn't... That doesn't, no, not, that's not, that's not it. You know, yeah. that whole vegetarian thing that happens all over right? the paranormal. It does. People turn vegetarian. So <clears throat> many contactees. Yep. So many people who yeah. see the Blessed Virgin. Yeah. I was about now to say St. Cecilia or yeah. St. Catherine of Siena. Like yep. so yeah. many saints. Yeah, particularly female after they see light become vegetarians or restricted their eating down to just the Eucharist, like Catherine of Siena. But it's it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, you're you're, that is so not surprising at all. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, weirdly, I have been wanting to eat less meat myself. Yeah. Which is weird because yep. I'm very carnivorous. I mean, yeah. I grew up on a farm, right. you know. So, right. um, but recently I've been eating more beans and rice than yep. anything. Yeah. So I don't and know. I don't know ca- what's going on. Yeah, it's I've, yeah. I've spent kind of like I'm one of those people. I'll do three years of being a vegetarian, eighteen months of eating meat, three years of being. I, I go. I'm all over the place. That, that's just kind of the story of who I am. I'm. I. I. I I'm a very. I crave novelty, so I'll. I'll do something for a while, then I'll change it up. And it's just odd. Yeah, but that's yeah, fair. It is. It just makes life more interesting to me, I suppose. But um, uh, And then I'll kind of just, mm-hmm. I know we're, you know, we've been on for an hour and a half, so I don't want to talk too much. But How about you uh, give us one last, your favorite case? <sighs> well, my favorite case, honestly, might have been that one I mentioned, that flying humanoid one with, like, the computer that's dials right. on its with chest. I love that because yeah, it's and so dove hands. strange. Yeah, it's got all the kind of like the recipes for like a great, mind blowing, weird. Like, you know, if, if I, I try to think of like what's the weirdest thing I can see, like that's about as weird as I can think of. Um, yeah. But what, what I will say is like, I guess I could, I'll mention like one, one more like little thing I'm sort of working on. Uh, there was this yeah. really kind of compelling Bigfoot setting in 2014 that a, this um, 15-year-old and his father, the father and the 15-year-old, they were – this is, takes place in – it's about 40, 45 miles away, out, away from Omaha. 
And it's this little tiny, again, a little tiny village called Linwood, which I don't even think it has 100, 100 people living there. It's really just like seven houses and a grain silo. But this right. you know, father and son lived there, and they and this father was accompanying his son, driving him to Driver's Ed in Fremont, Nebraska. The son was driving because he's 15. He's you know getting practice on the way to Driver's Ed. It's early, early in the morning, about 530, because the class was like at 6. So they're driving there, and they see a gigantic, I, they, I think they described it as like over eight foot tall, Bigfoot, run, like walk with in two strides across this country road. That and I've actually been to the, the side of it. And it's kind of covered with trees and leads right into this place called Skull Creek. And so this thing walks across the road in two, two bounds, ho, like hops over this like wire fence and goes into the creek. The father and son see this thing Instead, they skip driver's ed class that day and they go to the sheriff of Butler County and they tell him all about it. And so this case actually got reported in the newspaper. The father and son will not give their names. They want no part of any kind of fame or any kind of notoriety. They do not want people knowing about it. And it kind of stirred this town up and people started talking about more sightings that they'd had in the local area. It turns out there's uh-huh. been quite a few for decades, right? And I was able to... Called, so they did an investigation. Um, a couple people from the Eastern Division of the the actual the uh, game warden of Nebraska, which the game warden in Nebraska is a pretty big deal. <laughs> like it's like you know, yeah, it's about as is. big as being a congressman around here. You know, hunting is huge. Yeah, he came out and he. It's, it's funny. I so I had been trying to call him for about six months, and his his voice message thing was always full, and I'm like, oh, I'll never get through this guy. And then one afternoon, I, I get done, like, writing. I crack a beer on my porch. And I'm like, I'm going to try to call this guy again. I call him. And I go, hello, sir. My name's Steve. He answers the phone. And I'm like, hello, sir. My name's Steve Berg. I'm a writer of uh, kind of folklore of Nebraska. And I'm calling because you investigated this case in 2014, of the Bigfoot encounter. He goes, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. I go, okay. And I thought he was mad at me for calling about woo-woo stuff. And he goes, not five minutes ago, I had another uh Someone called in about seeing a Bigfoot in that exact same area. I go, whoa, that's kind of weird. And he goes, that's very weird. He's like, I, he's like, he's like, is someone putting you up to this? And I'm like, oh no, 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 sir. I'm, I'm just calling about <laughs> no, this. No, sir, no. And he was so weirded out about the timing. He's like, I've literally not thought about that case since 2014. And then you call about that exact area. So he was like, kind of like, it was kind of an interesting synchronicity. He he was kind of thrown off, but he talked to me for about a half hour, and he's like. I'll tell you what, Steve. And he goes, before that case in 2014, I'd heard about this stuff. And I, we never really checked it out. He's like, I checked it out because I was a friend of the sheriff of the county. But when I, after I checked it out, I started checking out more cases. And there is quite a few of these things. He's like, he's like a, a, a few months ago, I went out to a farmer's property where he had this kind of like, um, well, I don't know what you call it. It's that aluminum kind of like, you know, that wavy aluminum stuff that like you build mm-hmm. a shed with? Corrugated aluminum. Exactly, exactly. He went out to a farmer's place where he found Bigfoot tracks. The farmer said he saw it like bounding through his like property, like in his like in his crops. And he saw it, he, and the farmer witnessed it going over to the shed and tearing it up. And oh. the, the game warner was like, oh my God. He's like, if I did, you know, like people speak well as farmers, so we went to check out. And he's like, I checked out this shed, Steve. He said, he kept on saying my name, which I thought was like old school and funny. He's like, Steve, I saw this thing. It was coiled up 
like a giant, like something that was like 20 times stronger than a human being. He's like, it was like torn like paper. He's like, I don't oh. know. I, he's like, he's like, I don't know what can do that. I go, sir, I don't know what can do that either. He's like, and he's like, what I've learned about this stuff is that a lot of people are believe they're seeing this stuff. And I think there's something to it. He's like, I'm not saying I believe in Bigfoot, but I know there's something to it because these are some honest people I'm talking with. And so I yeah. was like, oh, that's pretty good information. And I, then I ended up talking to the sheriff of who investigated the sheriff of Butler County who investigated the thing. And he's like, I grew up with the father. We went to high school together. I've known the kid who the son he saw with. He's on the honor roll. He's the nicest kid I've ever met. There is no way they're lying. And I said that the sheriff said that to me. I go, so are you saying to me that you think that they saw Bigfoot? He's like, I don't know what they saw. All I know is they're not lying about what they saw. He's like, I'm not saying I believe yeah. in Bigfoot. He's like, don't quote me on that. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. And uh, and he was a very no-nonsense, not a super nice sheriff. But he, he was nice enough to talk to me for a little bit. But he did say, like, yeah. he's like I completely think these two people are telling the truth about what they saw. You know, wow. he's like, e- either they misidentified it, but, but he, and I was like, well, are there other cases in the area? He's like, they are, but I don't really feel like talking about them right now. I go, fair enough, sir. Thank you for your time. <laughs> so Yeah. 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 You don't so, want to piss off the cop who's giving you, you know, nuggets of gold. No, yeah. no, exactly. <laughs> but there, there is one small diner there or like a little cafe. And actually it, the weather is now nice, but early next week I'm going to drive out there and I'm going to leave a flyer <laughs> that says, if anyone's had a weird experience or seeing Bigfoot, please email this, you know, this email address. So it, it, I'm kind of doing that. And I've done that in a couple other places where they've had sightings. And I haven't got anything back yet. But I'm really trying everything I can to get these stories. Because I know this stuff is happening or people are having these experiences that they believe to be real. But I don't think they're reporting it. So while yeah. you're at that diner, ask the waitress. Yep. If she knows anybody, because right. she's probably heard stories yep. at the counter. Oh yeah. The oh, old yeah. guys drinking coffee every morning. And somebody has told somebody stuff. else something, and she's overheard it. Yeah, yeah, and and, and 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 like doing this, you know, like putting up a flyer or trying to like ingratiate yourself local. Well, the flyer is yeah. a good idea too. Yeah. It's a place like to sit start. Sit there and drink coffee yes. and make friends yep. with the servers. I agree. I mean, and yeah. then ask. And, and look, it looked for Keel in Point Pleasant or it worked for Keel in Point yeah. Pleasant. You know, like exactly. he always said the, the first yeah, well, thing I do is go to, go to the police and let them know what I'm there doing. And if they have anything for me. So, yeah. 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 I'm, 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 yeah, I'm talk really to the interested. Police. Yeah. You know, it's like, Always, always, always check out the local watering hole because that's a place where people unwind, talk about their day. And honestly, if you want to know something in a town and you have an in with the food service and drink service mafia, which is what we call the the grapevine of all the restaurants in a town. If you can get one person... To be talking to you, they can put the word out and get information. So yes. yeah. that's yes. always know a, all that's always regulars. a thing. Those are those are great recommendations. Yeah, because I mean, like, I really like to me in like my older age. I guess I like this folksy approach. I'm just yeah. going mm-hmm. to like you know, yeah. like, I, I honestly like as opposed to like you know, like because I've been like you know, combing over like you know databases of like these old NICAP, Kufos move on and so and that's all great and dandy and fun but i i really crave to get out there myself 
one because I like adventure and I guess I'm craving adventure in my you know like this paranormal right. adventuring you know but like two I think just getting out and talking to people you can really learn a lot you know yes, so yes, and and, and maybe force synchronicities into your life by looking at this thing that even deeper. Too. You know, so that too. Yeah. 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 I'm just really having a ball because it's, it's living in California for, tw- I mean, actually, I actually lived in LA longer than I lived anywhere in my life. And I love LA and I loved living in a big city for 20 years, but I'm kind of like really enjoying this chapter of coming back to where I'm from, my roots. And I guess I, cause I don't think anyone else is doing what I'm doing. I'm not trying to like be braggadocious, but like just look, I don't know of anyone else who's like looking at high strangeness in that kind of Keelian way other than myself. I wish there was more people because I could definitely use the help. I know of one person in Nebraska, one person, not in Nebraska though. And Western New York state in the Hudson river Valley. Really? Mysterious beauty is the name of her book. And what's it about the book? It is about UFOs, Bigfoot, weird little lights, um, ghosts in spiritualists. No, 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 no. In the Hudson New York Valley. State. Oh, in the Hudson River, in the Hudson River Valley. Got you, got you, got you. But she is doing. She did what you are doing now for Western New York State. Yeah. From a Keelian perspective, mm-hmm. so there are a few investigators looking at it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure there. Yeah, I mean, it's like I. I feel like there probably are. There would. I would hope so. There are in almost every state that I don't know about. But like. When I came here, I kind of thought I was going to be able to find like a, a half a dozen people who were kind of like me and were doing this. But I was dead wrong about that. You know, the only person I can sort of find was Ray Boucher, but he's kind of like not in the best health. And he's sort of like, you know, getting older where he can't do the boots and the ground stuff. But, you know, um, right. I'm just hungry for it. And like, look, if anyone out there has a Nebraska story or something going on, I, uh, Get in touch with yeah, me. I, sure. I will check it out. You can talk to me. I will, I will listen. So, yeah, I'm really just like desperate and hungry to absorb all the information because I feel like it's like maybe my little tiny contribution to the field, you know, like, right. You know, I'll be the journalist on the ground covering Nebraska. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I think that's genius. Oh, yeah. So, a great idea. If anything, it's really a- fun. People can put a comment on this episode when it goes up, or they can email us at 6djk67 at gmail.com, and I can get you in touch with Steve. Yes, so Thank you. I will pass so it much. along. Aw, thanks. Always. I appreciate that. Because, yeah, anything's yeah. valuable. Nothing too small, yes. nothing too big. <laughs> They're not even ghost hunters there. There is, gotta be I, ghost you, know, you know, I take that back. There, de- there is definitely ghost hunters here, but you know, I mean, I might mean this as a blanket statement, but like I, I have like met and contacted a couple of these groups. They are really, really strictly about ghosts. Ghost. Yeah. They, they, that's fair. Yeah. It's fair. And that's fine. It, that You but, should. Yeah. You should ask them to forward you any cases that they think don't don't fit ghosts, but that, are still weird. I never that thought about get. that. Oh, that's so smart. Oh my gosh, I'm actually writing that down. Hold on. <laughs> that yeah, a good idea. because see, you never know. You never know. You never know. That's that, a great uh, idea. Yeah. Yeah, but w- and w- always always look at their stuff if there's like any poltergeist activity. Totally. You just 
just keep an a, an ear to what they're doing. I, yeah, I I'm trying. Maybe you can trade cases back and forth. I'm hoping it's it's been kind of odd. They've been like, it's so interesting how uninterested they are in cryptids and UFOs. I've kind of found <laughs> where I'm like, oh yeah, there's also all this stuff going on here and here. Like, oh yeah, it's cool. Good luck with that. And I'm like. You're not interested in that too. Like, I, it's funny to me when people are only <laughs> interested in one aspect of the field. That I, I just, I guess, I couldn't be, I, I couldn't be farther away from that word. To me, everything is on the table. You know, like I, I'm yeah, interested yeah. in all of it. I'm interested in tarot. I'm interested in like yes. everything in the occult. You know, true crime. I feel like it, it all plays a part in a way. You know, so yeah. But that's fine. They have their approach and I have mine. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, yeah, one's yeah. better. Than but the always, other, but. always share information if you can, because you never Agreed. know what you're going to pick up. I agree. Oh, yeah. And you and don't I, know how important it'll be to a case. Right. Maybe not now, maybe later. Yeah. And, I, and I'm always willing to help out. And if people have more questions about like in greater detail about some of the things I've talked about, hit me up. I will like. I love talking about this stuff and I could talk about it all day and it's really what I love in life the most. It's, 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 it's a real fun lens to look through life with, you know, to like, Oh yeah. Our world's been so disenchanted and like, you know, in that, like I'm trying to enchant my own world. And to me, I'm just having a lot more fun that way. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. more fun. Yeah. And it doesn't all mean right. I'm not skeptical or discerning either, you know, just right. open-minded trying to have fun. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much thank for you. coming back because oh. we totally fumbled the ball last time and had too much fun talking we about all the other stuff. It was fun. We had I, I had so much fun. It was, you know, it was a good to know each other. We were breaking bread. So, you know. Yeah, it was It was good. And you're welcome back. Oh, uh, anytime. Yeah, well, I would yeah. come back anytime. And look, you know, it's weird. I've only met you guys. Well, now, Brian Sparber, we've hung out three times now. Uh, once in real yeah. life, two virtually. But you guys are very wonderful people. And it's like, I, I'm excited to have two new friends in this field. Like, you know, so. Thank you. Yeah, it means, it does, mean, it does mean a lot to me. Like, Barbara, you said I could call you after something weird happened. I'm like, that really, like, <laughs> I'm Dude, not just saying seriously. that it warms my heart because I don't know who I would call. I would call, like, I have some <laughs> friends like Cutchin and Great Bishop. I would obviously call them. But, like, I, w I would call you in a second and I would be very, like, <laughs> I feel like, oh, Barbara, okay, I can't, I'm just trying to catch my breath. <laughs> you know, but, like, that is such a sweet offer and I really, no, totally. To Thank you so I, much. I would, I would listen to your Bigfoot encounter and just be like, dude, how did, how did you get away, man? Yeah. Well, look, in 2023, I'm going to make something happen. I'll tell you that much. I'm, I'm going for it. All right. Good I'm for going you. For it. Well, thank you for coming back. Absolutely. Happy New Year, my friends. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year to you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.